You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the lion! Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. Mine's been obscenely busy. I feel like I've definitely been burning the candle at both ends. And I wasn't even that busy, you know, in my private life. It was just a very, very busy work week. I had a lot of projects. I started a film club. I'm tired beyond all belief. Um, and I'm actually obscene, obscenely happy because a couple of weeks ago I figured out how to record sitting down. So I'm cool to just like vibe in my seat and just talk to myself for the next 30-ish minutes. This week on Movie Theater Movie Reviews, we've got Paint and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, both of which are not in theaters yet. So if you're looking for them, you gotta wait a little bit. I think they both come out April 5th. So if there's a regal near you, I highly recommend uh, rolling the dice and doing the Mystery Movie Monday they have every so often. I had never done it before. It's like five bucks. You don't know what movie you're seeing until literally the movie starts. But I took that chance. I ended up seeing Paint. And I'm kind of, I'm glad I did. I wasn't planning on seeing it. I'm not a big Bob Ross person. It's it's a dark comedy that kind of spoofs Bob Ross and PBS and that whole thing. It's a little Napoleon Dynamite. I might ask, which also really isn't my thing, but I didn't I didn't mind it. But yeah, it's a it's a dark comedy. It's kind of quirky. It's not for me. I, I see why people would like it. It's definitely more in that Napoleon Dynamite vein, like I said. I wish they'd kind of gone leaned a little bit more into it. You could tell there was a little bit of, you know, hesitation with fully embracing that motif, but it was still good. I hope it finds its audience because it is quirky and cute. And it's always nice when fil smaller films get bigger audiences. It's nice. Speaking of bigger films, I also saw Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which was way more fun than it had any right to be, honestly. I've played D&D a few times. I'm by no means an expert, but I do feel like it encapsulated the essence of the game quite well. The story was basic and predictable, but given how much of the D&D world they managed to pack into it, coupled with the vibrant characters, makes that kind of a forgivable offense. You can kind of tell, like, beat by beat what's going to happen, but you still have fun watching it. So I'm foreseeing this bad boy making some decent cash. And now on to this week's topic. As it turns out, there isn't a lot of content in existence dealing with movies that never get made. So I've opted to do kind of a hodgepodge episode, which I've done in the past, but haven't done in a hot minute. And frankly, forgot that that was actually an option I created for myself. So... That's what's kind of happening. So I was originally planning on just like picking and choosing a couple of different like film sequels that never got off the ground. But I didn't end up doing that because while I was doing research, this week's topic kind of emerged from the ashes of my panicked Googling and reading. Every great director has projects that never got made, and Steven Spielberg is no exception. Today, we're taking a look at some of his projects that never made it into production. But you'll also see this week, you might be able to argue that these films 
were made, just not bearing the titles or stories they were originally meant to. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. For nearly a decade, E.T. the Extraterrestrial was the highest grossing film of all time, adjusted for inflation. The film had been based on director Steven Spielberg's imaginary friend from his childhood and was originally titled E.T. and Me. The film opened the 1982 Cannes Film Festival and was immediately met with fervent critical acclaim the world over and has pretty much been a cultural icon ever since. Given all that, you might assume that at some point they'd try to make a sequel, and you'd be right. In July 1982, during the film's initial theatrical run, Spielberg and Melissa Matheson, who had written the screenplay for E.T. off of Spielberg's idea, penned a treatment for a sequel they called E.T. 2 Nocturnal Fears. This sequel to the blockbuster in the making would be quite different than its predecessor, as it would be significantly darker like Pitch Black Darker. If E.T. was a sci-fi movie for kids and families, E.T. 2 was going to be a horror flick for teens and up. I've left a link in the show notes if you want to read the entire treatment for E.T. 2. It leaked online around 2012. But the gist of it is thus. The movie would start with a familiar spaceship that would interrupt an otherwise peaceful night sky, landing in the forest clearing from the first film. A ramp descends, and an alien with a familiar gait emerges. Cut to Elliot, Michael, and Gertie, the Taylor kids from the first film, at school surrounded by their classmates with a fervent anticipation of the summer holidays. But this anticipation is tainted for the Taylor children as they find themselves missing E.T. By the by, it's been like a year since the events of the first film when this is happening. We go back to the spaceship in the forest, which we realize is not the one previously piloted by E.T. and his kind, but rather evil carnivorous aliens responding to E.T.'s distress signal from the previous film. These aliens turn out to be a faction of E.T.'s race, but they're albino instead of like the brown color E.T. was, and the two factions have been warring. Several members of this crew head out to the forest for specimens, like the other faction did in the first movie, and we see on board that they have some from other planets as well. Back at the Taylor's house, Elliot checks the communicator that E.T. left behind for messages. Due to he and E.T.'s like psychic connection, Elliot begins feeling strange. Suddenly, the communicator comes to life. It must be his space buddy returning. He rallies his siblings and D&D friends from the first film, and they head to the forest to welcome him back. Meanwhile, reports of cattle mutilations have been reported around the area. Elliot and company come upon the sinister spaceship in the forest. The leader of these bad aliens telepathically inquires to the children as to where they might find the aliens' wreck, whose distress signal they're responding to. 
Turns out this is E.T.'s actual name. The children tell him that he went home, but the leader doesn't believe them. The children are captured by these aliens, forcing them onto the ship. They are examined and interrogated thoroughly. Elliot's interrogation gets intense, and he calls out for E.T. to help him. Back at the Taylor residence, Mary has returned from a date with Dr. Keyes from the first film, who was the agent in charge of finding E.T., and they've noticed that the children are missing. It's like 11 p.m. at this point. As the two search the house, they come upon the communicator, which has a message from E.T. promising Elliot that he is on the way. Back on the ship, Elliot, weakened by the interrogation, is returned to the others. There is a hum heard coming from outside of the ship. A hatch opens, revealing E.T. E.T. uses his finger light to make the other aliens freeze, literally not figuratively. He springs the kids from captivity, reprograms the ship, sending the bad aliens to a remote corner of the galaxy, saving the day. Once again, the children are forced to say tearful goodbyes to their beloved E.T. before his mothership descends and takes him once more. Once again, the family look up in awe of the sight of the alien spacecraft departing. So yeah, a little different in tone than the first one. Unsurprisingly, E.T. 2 never got past the development stage, but the roots of this sequel go deeper than just this treatment. In fact, they go all the way back to another space alien film that Spielberg had made a few years earlier. In 1977, Steven Spielberg made a film for Columbia Pictures called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, after which the director voiced the desire to possibly make a prequel or sequel for the film. The studio agreed and a contract was drawn up and signed. But Spielberg changed his mind and didn't want Columbia to have the ability to make a sequel to Close Encounters without him. Spielberg was not super stoked that having made the studio's first bonafide hit, that Universal went off and made Jaws 2 without him, which was his choice, as he feared going back to the ocean would lead to a run-of-the-mill creature feature, which it did. So, fear confirmed or suspicion confirmed. And with that in mind, Close Encounters wasn't exactly shaping up to be what Spielberg wanted either. Columbia was struggling to finance the film to completion. If it bombed, Columbia was probably going to foreclose. So, you know, there was no money to go around, and that forced Spielberg to scrap additional filming that he'd wanted to do. With all that in mind, Spielberg came up with a compromise to satisfy the Close Encounters contract. He suggested a new director's cut of the film be made instead. Columbia agreed on the condition, as it was way cheaper than making a whole other film, and their only real condition was that Spielberg show the inside of the mothership in the director's cut, and in 1979, they gave Spielberg $1.5 million to produce what became known as the special edition of the film. It's a whopping two minutes longer than the theatrical. As well as this additional filmed footage, Spielberg also suggested developing a horror film for Columbia, which would be Close Encounters-like. Initially titled Watch the Skies, which had also been a working title for Close Encounters, the story would be based on the 1955 Kelly Hopskinville encounter, where a Kentucky family claimed that they had been terrorized by aliens that had started out as lights, but then rose from the ground as evil gremlin-like beings. Columbia essentially said, say less, and greenlit the project. In Spielberg's original treatment for this film, 11 malicious extraterrestrial scientists try to communicate with chickens, cows, and other livestock in an attempt to discover which of Earth's animals is sentient. 
Eventually, they turn their unwelcome attentions on a human family and start dissecting their farm animals. Sound a little familiar? Spielberg approached Lawrence Kasdan, who had also helped Spielberg and George Lucas write Raiders of the Lost Ark, to flesh out the Watch the Skies treatment into a fully-fledged script, but Kasdan passed as he was too busy writing another film you've probably heard of, Empire Strikes Back. So instead, Spielberg went to up-and-coming horror screenwriter John Sayles, who had written Joe Dante's Jaws spoof Piranha, which Spielberg had loved, and he actually called it the best Jaws knockoff that had been made. Highly recommend Piranha if you've not seen it. It's it's something else. It's it's very fun. Unfortunately, though, Watch the Skies had already been registered as the title for another film, so the first draft of the screenplay, completed in mid-1980, had the project renamed Night Skies. Sales took Spielberg's treatment and turned it into a 99-page screenplay that featured five extraterrestrials instead of 11, and the aliens in this were called Hoodoo, Scar, Clud, Squirt, and Buddy, the latter of which was kind and befriended the human family's autistic son. Sales script opened with Scar, who was described in the script as a, quote, real badass, killing farm animals by touching them with a long bony finger, which gave off an eerie light. Again, this probably might sound familiar to you. The opening sequence ended with Buddy marooned on Earth by his evil co-workers. Word got out around 1980 that Spielberg was developing a something close encounters of the third kind-esque when NASA announced that the director had reserved cargo space for the 1980 inaugural International Space Shuttle flight. This was done to capture footage of the Earth and Moon from orbit for the opening of Night Skies. Spielberg announced officially then that Night Skies was in development, but as he was under contract to direct his next several films for Universal, he would be producing the film for Columbia, but not directing it. In his stead, Spielberg suggested Toby Hooper, best known for directing and co-writing The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, take the helm, but he declined. The job was then offered to Spielberg's production designer, Ron Cobb, who had never been in the director's chair, but his designs had been used extensively for Night Skies, and Spielberg assumed that because of that, Cobb wouldn't try and deviate too far from Spielberg's vision. With a director in place and a completed script that focused on the three children in a rural farmhouse instead of, like, say, the parents, like Close Encounters did, Night Skies was set to commence shooting after Spielberg returned from abroad filming of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, as you're probably guessing, that never happened. While on location for Raiders, Spielberg had makeup and special effects master Rick Baker design and create the alien characters for Night Sky, the five, the five main aliens. Baker built a working prototype of the lead alien that cost $70,000, which by all accounts, everyone was like super stoked about. Spielberg had Baker continue creating all of the aliens for the film. So with so much work done and everyone involved appearing to be like super happy with what was going on and what was being made and what was being put out, why is Night Skies a part of our series of never made films? Well, it seems the production of Raiders of the Lost Ark caused Spielberg to have second thoughts about Night Skies. According to him, quote, 
I might have taken leave of my senses. Throughout the production of Raiders, I was in between killing Nazis and blowing up flying wings and having Harrison Ford and all this high serialized adventure. I was sitting there in the middle of Tunisia, scratching my head and saying, I've got to get back to the tranquility or at least the spirituality of Close Encounters, end quote. In short, he didn't want to make a horror film, which Night Skies definitely was. Spielberg read the Night Sky script to screenwriter Melissa Matheson, who was on the Raider set to visit her then-boyfriend, Harrison Ford, and she cried when hearing it because she loved the idea of a sweet-loving alien instead of a malicious one, which of course was very prevalent in cinema up to this point. Maybe focusing on this nice alien was the way to go. Spielberg and Sales parted amicably on the project of Night Skies in late 1980, and Matheson set to work. Eight weeks later, the script for what would become E.T. the Extraterrestrial was given to Spielberg. By now, it's January 1981, and not everyone was happy with Spielberg's new direction. Rick Baker had spent $700,000 of his own money on Night Sky's designs, models, and animatronics, and had a huge falling out with Spielberg as a result, refused to work on E.T., which led to Carlo Rombaldi ultimately doing the creature designs for E.T., Though Rick Baker did release his designs of Night Skies in 2014, and there was definitely some inspiration coming from those designs, particularly in the cranial era on one of the aliens for how E.T. turned out. Kind of surprised he didn't try to, they probably paid him off, because otherwise Rick Baker probably could have sued. Anyway... The powers that be at Columbia were also very unhappy with the announcement of E.T. and me in favor of Night Skies and Spielberg's decision to drop his horror project in favor of a, quote, wimpy Walt Disney movie was not going to fly for them. They were not going to pay to make this movie. So instead, Spielberg approached Sid Sheinberg, the head of MCA, who owned Universal Pictures at this point. Scheinberg bought the E.T. and Me project from Columbia, repaying them the million dollars that had been used to develop Night Skies, while also offering Columbia 5% of the resulting film's profits. John P. Veach, the president of Columbia Worldwide, agreed and later stated that he believes that that 5% of E.T.'s profits made the studio more money that year than any other film they released in 1982. So imagine how rough of a year it had to have been over Columbia in 1982. And Night Skies didn't just influence E.T., but Poltergeist as well. It kind of took the other element of it. But of course, instead of aliens, there were ghosts terrorizing a family. The film was produced and co-written by Spielberg and was directed by Toby Hooper, who had stayed in contact with his fellow director after turning down Night Skies. If you don't know, Poltergeist is about a family that is terrorized by ghosts in a similar fashion to what the aliens did to the family in the script of Night Skies. It's very parallel. And it wasn't just Spielberg films that were inspired by Night Skies. Gremlins, which was directed by Joe Dante, used the Night Skies concept in that there was one good member of a species, Gizmo, while all the others were chaotic and evil. Of course, it's not that simple, but that's kind of, you know, oversimplifying the situation. Gizmo was the good one. The Gremlins were all bad, which is the plot of Night Skies. And Gremlins also included a cheeky wink to Night Skies with a marquee of a theater advertising Watch the Skies, its original title, as well as Boy's Life, which was the worst. Working title for E.T., one of the many. So you can kind of see how 
despite neither of these films ever getting made, how the creative sparks lit during that time can still lead to other amazing films getting made. In this case, some of the biggest, most important films of the 1980s came out of the the bones of Night Skies. In fact, we saw that in every film we covered this month, for better or worse. Superman Lives, Previs led to the giant spider in Wild Wild West, Heart of Darkness's characters inspired Wells on his next film, Citizen Kane, The Art of Dune led to the xenomorph and alien, and, you know, if you believe them, a lot of other stuff too. And of course, you've seen all of the influence Night Skies and E.T. 2 had on other films. These films may have never gotten made in their original forms, but that work becomes a part of the artists and filmmakers regardless and can go on to live a second life beyond what they were originally tended to be. So yeah, Night Skies never happened. Neither did E.T. 2 Nocturnal Fears. But their influences had a legacy that reached into several films, making it arguably more influential a film in its incomplete form than it would have ever had as a motion picture. that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode at Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at The Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I've got a letterbox account which features my watch lists, film diary, and recommended viewing for this episode. You can check it out at the link in the show notes. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you'd please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. Still need some Apple Pod podcast uh love guys if you can please and thank you in order to keep making the podcast i've also set up a support page the link of which you can find in the show notes if you'd like to help out in any way i very much appreciate it i've also got the buy me a coffee i'm slumming it today because like i said i'm i'm too exhausted to put on enough pants to go outside and get coffee so i just made some illy at home had, had, had me a nice pour over i've also got merch check it out the link in the show notes Next month, we're separating the fact from the fiction on some of the most popular musical biopics ever made. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap.